Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. And it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In this conversation, I finally get the chance to sit down with a special guest and a buddy of mine, Hal Elrod. He's one of the most inspiring keynote speakers in the world. He's a creator of one of the fastest growing online Facebook communities on the web and author of the best-selling book series, The Miracle Morning. For those of you who don't already know Hal's story, The Miracle Morning was his answer to overcoming a life-changing event that happened when he was just 20 years old. His car was hit head-on by a drunk driver and he was literally pronounced dead for six minutes. He also broke 11 bones and was told by doctors he'd never walk again. Seriously, you can't make this story up. As if that wasn't enough for one guy to overcome in a lifetime, just about a year ago, actually a week before we were scheduled to originally have this conversation, Hal took a trip to the doctor after waking up in the middle of the night and just struggling to catch his breath. He was again rocked with life-changing news. He had a rare and aggressive form of cancer. Hal and I go deep into what he's faced over the last year, in his words, the most difficult year of his life. But fortunately, this story does have a happy ending, as Hal recently found out from his doctors he's now cancer-free. What I love about this conversation, though, is the way Hal dealt with his diagnosis. This is the same mindset Hal's used to help people all around the world achieve their full potential, one morning at a time. And today's no different. Hal shares some incredible advice that I know all you advisors out there can learn from. So get ready for the level of energy Hal brings to this conversation as it's a fast-paced, content-packed episode. Here are just a few of the highlights. Right at the beginning, we get into the single most important philosophy Hal's used to overcome adversity. We go deep into Hal's thoughts when his doctor first told him he had cancer and how he dealt with it. This same mindset trick applies just as much to the daily ups and downs of being a financial advisor, and you can literally implement it in under five minutes. Next, we cover Hal's Miracle Morning Framework. It outlines the six most powerful personal development practices to start your day. These were distilled from the highest performers in history. And I've got to say on a personal note, I've followed this ever since being recommended Hal's book a few years back. And it's been an absolute game changer for me. So I hope for you all, it's just as impactful. From there, obviously the number one problem to overcome with starting a morning routine is actually getting out of bed. Hal gets into his five-step snooze-proof wake-up strategy that will allow you to actually put this routine into action. Lastly, Hal gets into the secret ingredient to writing a book that will maximize your impact and what he believes is the single tactic that turned the Miracle Morning into a global movement that's being practiced daily by over half a million people in 70-plus countries. Not only that, it's led to a Facebook group that's 120,000 strong, and he shares the secret for you authors out there to converting passive readers into an active and loyal community. A community, by the way, that's excited to attend your events and implement your strategies. Okay, before we get to the show, Hal's generously gifted his very own sample Miracle Morning Journal with step-by-step instructions to implement your very own morning routine and also a list of his all-time favorite reads when it comes to business, success, money, and more. It's available for download right at the top of the show notes. 
bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 3232. You can also find links to everything else we mentioned there too. Books, people discussed, full transcript of our conversation, everything else from the show. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Hal Elrod. Welcome to this week's episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I have my buddy and special guest, Hal Elrod, here with us today. Welcome to the show, Hal. Brad, it is a pleasure. I told you, it's my first uh, interview I've done in like a year and a half or a year, long time. Well, I'm honored, man. In fact, this interview was actually supposed to happen. I checked my calendar before I hopped in here today, November 15th, 2016. Wow. Knowing a little bit of your personal story, I, I wouldn't normally open a conversation like this, but following from afar, watching your Miracle Morning community, but when you were kind of rocked with a diagnosis of cancer just over a year ago, and seeing, most importantly, the mindset that you approached it with, I want to open there. And I just want to ask you, what have you taken from that experience? And maybe, I guess, give us a little bit of color commentary because not everybody's going to be familiar with sure. Or Yeah. So about a year ago, um, just a little less than a year ago, Right before Halloween, I woke up in the middle of the night and just gasping for air. And uh, kind of like when you wake up and you're having a nightmare that maybe you're drowning or something and you wake up and you're like, <gasps> you know, you can't breathe. Um, but I wasn't having a nightmare. Uh, I just couldn't breathe. And this went on for a couple of days and it wasn't getting better. It got worse. And my wife uh, said, go to uh, the uh, urgent care and get checked out. Went to urgent care. They did some, uh, an x-ray of my chest and they, they, uh, he said, I think it's pneumonia. Um, I'm gonna put you on some antibiotics. Um, but he said, I'm not sure. So in a few days, if you're not better, go see your, your regular doctor. So a few days later, wasn't any better. I'm, you know, I'm literally sleeping propped up on pillows and I, I can't even, I can't sleep. I can't breathe. It was just, it was terrible. And, um, and, uh, and so then I, uh, I ended up going to my doctor and he calls the next day and says, I want you to come in. And I'm going, Oh God, they, that's like a bad news thing. If you have to come in, they can't tell you over the phone. What, what could this possibly? And, for me, I've lived an anti-cancer lifestyle for like 10 years. I mean, I watched a documentary 10 years ago, healing cancer from the inside out about how to cure cancer holistically and naturally. And so I just said, I'm going to start just living that way now so that I don't ever get cancer. So I came in and he said, um, you, you know, there's definitely something going on. And he said, you, you might have, it could be some sort of virus or some sort of infection, but he said it, it might be cancer. And you show the signs of like a lymphoma with your, you've got these enlarged lymph nodes in your chest that are causing your lung to collapse and overfill with, overfill with fluid. And I mean, I'm going, there's no way, I don't, it can't be cancer. It's got to be some freaky virus, you know? And I went out in the car, I called my wife. She was actually on a trip I was supposed to be on, but I couldn't go on because I couldn't breathe. I, I, I canceled it, but sent my family to go visit my grandma uh, because my grandma was looking forward to seeing my grand, you know, my kids and everything. And um, I called my wife in the car and told her, <clears throat> and uh, I personally accept all things I can't change. When I was 20 years old, I was, you know, real, we can get in more into this that we need to later, but I was hit head on by a drunk driver. I died for six minutes. I broke 11 bones. Doctors said I would never walk again. So at age 20, having that adversity, uh, the lessons I learned from it was, well, if you can't change a circumstance, there's no, there's no value in feeling bad about it in feeling sorry for yourself, in being a victim, in wishing that reality were any different than it is. You know, if you can't change it, you can't change it. And most people suffer because they wish they could change it. And so I learned that early on. So when I, when I received the diagnosis from the doctor, I thought, if it's cancer, okay, 
You know, I, like I won't have emotional pain over that. I'll just figure out how to work through it as proactively as I can. So I was at peace with it as soon as I heard it. But calling my wife and telling her that I might have cancer was was not as easy, wasn't as easy for me to tell her as it was for me to completely accept it. And so I called her, I, I started crying and you know, she's crying. And I said, sweetie, I'm, it's probably not cancer, but if it is, don't worry. Well, you know, it's, I meant, I meant, if it is, I'm meant to go through it. I'm meant to beat it. I'm meant to write another book about it and help people that are suffering from it as well, right? And so long story short, I, I was diagnosed with a very rare, very aggressive form of cancer. I went in for a second opinion into a major hospital and they found out not only are my lungs failing, my kidneys were failing and my heart was surrounded by a sack of fluid that was compressing my heart and if the, it was about a fourth of an inch thick or an eighth of an inch thick, if it got to be a fourth of an inch thick or any more, they said my heart would stop beating and I would die or I would go into heart, cardiac arrest. And so they literally, you know, I said, well, hey, I said, okay, I'm not a, you know, I'm a natural guy. I said, I want to cure this cancer holistically. What, what, what can you do to support me in that? And my doctor, the oncologist said, uh, you'll be dead in a week if you try to cure this holistically. And I didn't like that answer because I, I thought it was kind of a fear tactic, you know, and, and, and we, I said, well, all right, well, we're going to go home and sleep on this. And, and we went home and did some research on the kind of cancer that I had. And, uh, and, and the doctor wasn't exaggerating. It literally is, you know, this is a cancer where it's extraordinarily fast acting. I mean, you know, I went from healthy to lung collapsing, kidney failing, heart, you know. And so basically we, me, my wife, we looked and we went, you, chemo is literally, you know, it's, it, it's a necessary evil in this particular case. This isn't a cancer where you can make gradual lifestyle changes, which I, and I didn't even know what I would change at that point. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I ended up, um, I went through chemo, thankfully, it saved my life. I mean, within a matter of days, my lung, uh, I could breathe again. Uh, my, my kidneys were like, it fixed all the things that were causing the problems and it started to, to, to minimize the cancer. And the last year of my life has been the hardest year of my life by far. Um, and, uh, but I am very, very grateful to say that I, uh, a few weeks ago went and got a, a, a test and I'm, uh, they, they don't find any cancer. And so the, the chemotherapy is combined with, all sorts of natural, holistic, outside the box, weird things that most people would never even think to do. Um, you know, the, the combination of, of the best of kind of East and West, if you will. Uh, um, yeah, it, it worked and I'm, I'm cancer free. And I don't look at this as the end of the road. I, I've got, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey of remaining cancer free. A lot of people, their cancer, once you've had it once, it can come back much, much easier. And, uh, and so I'm very aware of that and, and utilizing uh, not only the physical practices and medicines and, and, and supplements and stuff, but just the, there's so much mental, like the miracle morning, which we'll talk about today, the affirmations and that mind body connection. Ever since my car accident, um, I, you know, I've really believed in the power and I've seen the power uh, of, of how our mind influences our biology in a really powerful way. So utilizing every tool I've got uh, to, to keep healthy and around for my kids. If there was one piece of advice you were going to share with someone that either just got diagnosed with cancer or had a family member diagnosed with cancer, what would it be? You know, the, the simplest is to give you a resource, um, you know, because here's the thing. If you go to your doctor, like I went to my doctor and I mean, I've asked my doctor, my doctor, by the way, is one of the best oncologists in the world. I mean, he literally flies around every month. He's somewhere in the world speaking to hundreds of oncologists, telling him the latest in, so, I mean, because the hospital that I'm at uh, or that I went to in Houston, MD Anderson, they're like the cutting edge. They invented a lot of the cancer protocols that are being used now. Uh, and he's at the cutting edge of the leukemia department. So, um, 
he heads it up. And he, uh, but, but when I asked him about, like I said, what, what part does nutrition play in healing my body of cancer? And he says, that doesn't really matter. Just do the chemo. And like, I'm, I even know, I'm like, no, no, it matters. It definitely matters, you know, right? But like doctors, they, no offense. And I, and I, I, I wouldn't be alive without my doctor. So make sure that's in context. But they typically, most of them, it seems my experience has been, they only know what they read in their textbook to get their degree and practice medicine. Now, some continue their education, I'm sure, and keep, you know, uh, I think a lot of them, you know, do what they need to do to, to, you know, get a paycheck and, and help people know with their current frame of knowledge, right? And so if you ask your doctor about what you can do to detoxify your body, because chemotoxicity kills arguably as many people as cancer. Now, again, I'm not going on record quoting that, but I mean, it's right. It's, it, it, it's up there. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I asked my doctor, what could I do to detox from the chemo? And he said, we'll, you know, we'll give you a flush every time. And I'm like, so, you know, so here's the point. Go to a website chrisbeatcancer.com, C-H-R-I-S, chrisbeatcancer.com. Opt in for all of his free resources and use those in, either use just those if you want to go all natural or if you do what I did, which is combine the best of both. Do, do the, do the treatment that they're going to, you know, give you at the hospital, but support, you've got to support your immune system with natural holistic things. And, And Chris gives you all of that. He's, he beat it. He beat cancer naturally. I don't know, like seven years ago or longer, he's been in remission, never came back. And he had like stage three colon cancer where he was, it was bad. And the doctor said, if you don't do chemo, you're going to die. He decided not to do chemo. He lived through it. So I believe that combining the best of both is, you know, is a great approach for people. And, and that can give you, you know, listen to both, do, do everything your doctor says and do everything that, you know, that like the crispy cancer, who it's not his own, just his opinion. He's interviewed like the top natural holistic doctors in the world for the last, you know, however many years and bringing the best of that knowledge uh, and, and making it concise for anybody that's going through cancer. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And reading your book, we're going to get into Miracle Morning. Like it was inspiring, man. And we have mutual friends and this is not, I can't say this strongly enough. What you see on screen, Hal Elrod, it's not an act, it's you, right? And some people are like, how can he always have that much energy? How can he stay that positive, Right. <laughs> You know, guys like John Rulin that like used to room with you in the Cutco days, right? <laughs> so going back to mindset, because obviously this is a podcast for financial advisors and you've been in sales, kind of grew up in sales, really. There's a lot of negative emotions when, you know, that sale says no. And you had the ultimate negative emotion, which was you have cancer. What are the steps you went through? Was it just a, cause I know you've done a lot of work on yourself. So, but there's some people that haven't gone through those steps mentally, like you did with the car wreck. Like if somebody was working through, here's, I just had really bad news. How can I step back and look at this with the positive mindset and get the best out of it? Are there any tips or tricks that you have along those lines? Yeah. The greatest lesson that I learned from that car accident when I was, when I was 20, uh, which to this day, it's, it's, it's one of the single, this is what, I'll, what I'm going to share with you. This is one of the single most important uh, lessons, principles, philosophies, mindsets to, to, I believe to be happy and, and everything else that we want in life. Um, and it's, it's, it's accepting all things that we can't change. And I didn't, well, actually, I guess I, I can attribute it to when I was in, in sales, uh, I learned something called the five minute rule from my sales manager in my initial training. So like day two of training, he said, Hey, look, in sales, just like in life, 
there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be failure. You're going to try something. You're not, it's not going to work. You're going to have customers cancel their orders that you, in, in your mind, you've already spent the money, you know, and then all of a sudden you go, no, thank you. Right? We've all been there. And, and, and he said, he, so he said, I'm going to teach you a tool. It's called the five minute rule. And it states, it's okay to be negative when things go wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And he taught us to literally set our timer on our phone for five minutes and you get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, bent, punch walls, like whatever you got to do, right? Like just feel it. But he said, after five minutes, when that timer goes off, you say three very powerful words to yourself. Can't change it. Can't change it. Which, and what that is, it's a reminder. Okay. I can't go back unless I'm Marty McFly with the DeLorean. I can't go back in time, whether it was five minutes or five years or five decades, we can't go back in time and change the past. And what I later learned to really strengthen this lesson is that uh, when I read the book, The Power of Now, is that every negative emotion that we have ever felt in our lives or could ever feel is not a result of the thing we're focused on that we think is causing our negative emotion, such as the canceled order or the cancer or the car accident or, you know, the breakup or losing a loved one, whatever. That's not what causes the emotional pain. It's our level of resistance to the, the reality. So to the degree that we resist our reality is the degree that we create emotional pain for ourselves. So in a very practical way, right? An example, something bad happens and you go, no, no, come on. I wanted that so bad. So that's, res- I'm resisting reality. I didn't get it, but I want it. It's not fair or, or we lose a loved one. Now, I would never make light of that, right? But, but our emotional pain is only, only laid at rest when we accept whatever happened as it is and we make peace with it. And for some people, they never do that, right? There are people, think about this. If you're, many of us are suffering over things from our childhood, right? Like, oh, well, you know, my father did this, or my mother did this, or, you know, and it's like, by all means, no one deserves to have bad things happen to them, but it's, it's reality. And, and to suffer today over something that happened five minutes ago or, or when you were a child, that is self-created emotional pain because we're still resisting our reality from way back when we're still wishing it were different. So for me, when the car accident happened, at first I was, I mean, you know, I woke up from a coma six days later. So this was, I was 20 years old, driving home from a sales meeting, hit head on by a drunk driver at 70 miles an hour, spun off the drunk driver. The car behind me broadsided my door at 70 miles an hour. I broke 11 bones. I died for six minutes, woke up six days later from a coma. And the doctor said, uh, you'll probably never walk again. And you have permanent brain damage. I have like no short-term memory. And hearing you're never going to walk again at any age is tough, right? But at yeah. 20, right, your, your emotional intelligence is, is it's pretty limited. Your life experience is limited. But I had the five-minute rule. And I had this philosophy that I'm sharing. And so it only took a couple, I mean, literally a few days. And I went, okay, I can't change that I was in a car accident. I can't change that my bones are broken. I may not be able to have, you know, I may never walk again. The doctors may be right. I, and, and so I thought, but since I can't change that, I'm going to be the happiest I could possibly be as I go through the rest of my life. I'm going to be the most grateful I could ever be. And so the doctors called my parents in after I was out of my coma for a week. And they said, we're concerned with Hal. We believe he is in denial. They said, every time we interact with Hal, he's always smiling and laughing and joking. And they said, that's not normal for 
anyone, let alone a 20-year-old, that's being told they're probably never going to walk again. His body is scarred. It's broken. It, you know, um, we, But we've seen this where his reality is so painful he can't accept it. So he's checked out and he's just pretending everything's okay. And one day they said, with, you know, he has to face it and it's going to come crashing down and it could result in him turning to alcohol or drugs or suicide or something to cope. Right. So they said, we want you to talk to him and find out how he's really feeling. So my dad comes in and he sits down and I'm sitting there and, you know, I mean, you got to imagine me in my hospital bed, like my eye was shattered. I mean, this is all made of metal. I've got a bandage over my eye. My ear was almost completely severed. It's being bandaged on. My head is shaved because it had been cut open. They had to stitch it up, right? My arm's broken. My elbow's broken. My leg's broken. My pelvis is broken. I'm, I'm, I'm two weeks out of the accident, removed from the accident. And I'm watching Oprah, literally. My dad comes in and, and, and uh, he said, can I talk to you? And I was like, dad, I'm watching Oprah. And I look over and I could tell his eyes are like, he had been crying or he's about to cry. And I'm going, and I turn it off. And I, I think he has really bad news for me. That's my, I'm going, uh-oh, oh gosh, dad, you just met with the doctor. What's going on? And he told me their concerns. He said, Hal, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. He goes, it's okay to be angry. God knows your mom and I want to strangle that drunk driver. We're, we're sad, angry, and depressed. I can only imagine what you're going through. Talk about it. How are you feeling, son? It's okay. Let's talk about it. And again, I could tell he was so concerned. So I, I really, I, I, I just, I paused and I thought, I thought, am I sad? Am I angry? Am I depressed? Am I, am I covering something up that I'm not realizing? And I just shook it off and I looked, I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. And he said, what do you mean? I said, remember, I live by the five minute rule. It's okay to be negative for five minutes. But after five minutes, I go, it's been two weeks since the accident. My five minutes are up. And I said, and he goes, Hal, this is, he goes, I know your five minute rule, but that was for no sales and canceled appointments. He goes, this is a bigger deal. I said, but dad, the, the reality of the, the philosophy, the mindset is it, it doesn't matter. The, it doesn't matter the level of adversity. Emotional pain is self-created whether you, whether you die in a car accident or you're in traffic. Doesn't matter. It's resisting reality. I said, I, I've decided that if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I'll be the happiest, most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm in a wheelchair either way. So I can either be miserable in a wheelchair and blame the drunk driver and be angry that it happened, or I can just roll around being the happy, you know, genuinely happy. I said, that's the decision that I've made. I said, I'm not putting on a front. I'm not in denial. This is, I'm choosing that no matter what happens to me in life, I'm going to make the best of it, period. And I'm going to be happy even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of my life. And because of that, when the cancer happened, I instantly, like it took no effort to, as soon as the doctors, the words were, you could have cancer. I'm like, oh, okay, can't change it. If I have cancer, I'll accept it. I'll deal with it. I'll move through it. I'll learn from it. And I'll help other people, you know, as much as I can as a result. And so that, you know, that, that, that's been the greatest lesson, that five minute rule that can't change a philosophy. And it doesn't even take five minutes after you practice it for a while, because eventually, you know, like you set your timer and you, you cuss for 30 seconds and then you go, you look at your timer and you go, all right, I got four and a half more minutes. I don't really need to sit here and wallow in this anymore. I'm just going to work on a solution. You know what I mean? So you become very efficient with the five minute rule. It's like, exactly. it's yeah, it's like the five rule. second rule now. It's like, son of a, okay, what, what now? What can I do? Dude, thanks for sharing that. That's an amazing framework. It's stoic really is what it reminds me of it. Ryan Holiday is the daily stoic. I think you're familiar with, I, sure, I, know, Ryan. I think he's yeah. in Austin with you. So yeah. But he had a passage in there that talked about prisoners of war. And, you know, these are guys that have been tortured for years. And he's like, 
there was one guy that made it through. I can't think of his name right now. But it's like the one thing they Victor couldn't Frankel. control was my mind. It yeah. wasn't Victor Frankel. It was okay. Vietnam. But yeah, the same concept. The one thing you've got control of is your mind. You can't control that drunk driver rolling down the highway at 70 miles an hour. So Yeah. And also I'd like, and I think that, you know, for me, I look at the way that we like here to me, this is a, a, one of the most important things for us to all consider is that the way that we live our lives gives, and I didn't invent this part of it, right? But it gives other people permission to do the same. And so I think that's a responsibility and a power that we cannot take lightly. Like for me, it's my kids, right? It's like, I have to live my life in the way I want them to live my life. So, or their lives, right? And I want to teach them through my example, how to respond to adversity. So if I'm stressed out and freaked out and pissed off and yelling and, you know, or whatever, well, then that's, that's what I'm teaching them to how to respond to the challenges in their life. I'd rather them go, wow, no matter what my dad goes through, right? He's genuinely accepting of the things he can't change and grateful for everything else. And then proactive in creating everything that he wants. And by the way, that's the framework. If we'll wrap up the can't change it with it's ABC, accept everything you can't change, be grateful for everything else and see, create consistent progress towards everything that you want. Right. And that's it. That's the holy trifecta of how to live life to the fullest. That's awesome. All right. Let's transition. All right. Because I have you to blame for waking up at 445 (laughs) AM. Nice. I I just want to give a little bit of background because your book, The Miracle Morning, it has changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. I was even trying to, as I was preparing for today's conversation, I was trying to remember where I found out about, it was like this underground entrepreneur circle <laughs> that this book was rolling through, right? Nice. And um, so I want to get to the story of how the book came to be. There's all kinds of lessons wrapped in there. But I just want to say thank you because fairly consistently the last two years, there have definitely been days that I've missed, but... Me, me too, it's okay. Okay, good. The guy that wrote it, Mrs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, but I can say there's a dramatic difference between days where I do my version of the Miracle Morning versus days that I don't. And the ones that I do, it's just led to a massive increase in productivity, my mood, how I carry out throughout the day. So thank you. I just want to throw that in there before we dig into what the Miracle Morning is. No, you're you're welcome. And it, I mean, it means a lot because it's become my life's work in in a way that I never imagined it would, you know? Yeah. yeah so I just thought it was how, how, how did it come to be? Let's start so, there. Yeah. So the first part of it, everyone, everyone listening to this will relate to as a financial advisor. So back in 2008, you might remember the economy hit a little bit of a rough patch. Um, well, in 2006, I, I hit Hall of Fame with uh, Cutco, right? That's where I was in sales. And I hit Hall of Fame. I bought my first brand new house. And I wanted to move on to be uh, an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to be a speaker. I wanted to be an author. That was like the three things I wanted to do. So I wrote my first book um, called Taking Life Head On, which was about the head-on collision with the, the drunk driver and the lessons from that. Um, I launched my coaching business and coaching salespeople primarily. And, uh, and then I launched my speaking career and would just, you know, I got like my, <laughs> I actually, here's a funny part too. I, my first paid speech ever was for Countrywide Home Loans, which... It's no longer wow. in business. 500 bucks, 2006 or seven, I think. Maybe five even, yeah. Might have been one of, one of their last speakers. I, I'm actually, I was the responsible for the housing crash, which is, <laughs> I apologize to all the realtors and uh, everybody else. But um, no, so when the economy crashed, like, well, right before the economy crashed, I like life was great. I was in the best shape of my life. I was, you know, um, uh, I was in the best shape of my life. I was happy. I was, you know, my, building my business. I, I, I'd gotten it almost to a six-figure business in the first, you know, year and a half, I think. And, and um, when the economy crashed, 
I lost over half my coaching clients just because they were same thing. They were all, you know, it's like, Hey, how we we're, we're, we don't have any money, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and so lost my coaching clients, uh, wasn't getting booked to speak. The book wasn't really making me any money anyway. And, um, and so I, I, I couldn't pay the mortgage. I lost my house, canceled my gym membership, tripled my body fat percentage, like got in the worst shape of, went from the best shape of my life to the worst shape of my life in six months. And, and as a result, the, the, the happy go lucky, uh, me was, got really depressed for the first time ever. I got deeply, deeply depressed. And, um, now part of that, and I, I, I've only shared this a few times in interviews because I didn't realize it until much later. But I quit taking Adderall uh, around that time. I'd been taking Adderall for a few years and then, and I didn't know it was bad. And then my dad sent me some articles. He's like, Hal, you might want to rethink this. And I was like, oh, I didn't know, you know, so I stopped taking it and I quit cold turkey. And that wasn't the best way to do it. But, but I think that was part of why I got depressed simultaneously when I was losing everything. Like it just, it was the perfect storm. And, um, but when you're in that, if you've ever been depressed, it's like you, you can't think straight. You can't, you can't, analyze, you can't evaluate. It's just really difficult. And so the six month downward spiral, uh, where everything went kind of off the rails, I lost my house. And, and finally, after six months, um, my wife, uh, well, a series of events led me to go search. What do the world's most successful people do every day that I don't do? Like, that's what I was trying to figure out. Okay. Cause if I do what they do every day and I adopt their routines, their rituals, their habits, it's only a matter of time before I should start to see the results that, that, you know, that they would see. And I kept coming across morning routines, morning rituals, but I wasn't a morning person. At least I didn't consider myself like I think the majority of society, I'm not a morning person, you know, because, and by the way, I think my theory on that is when we leave the house at 18, we lose the people that were waking us up in the morning. And, and, and then when we love it, we're like, ah, I don't have to wake up early anymore. I can sleep in as late as I want. And then for most people, it's kind of like a downward spiral into mediocrity, either, you know, in some way in either in, in financially or maybe their business is good, but like their health, their physical fitness, you know? So for me, I wasn't a morning person and, and, but I kept coming across article after article after article. And now it's much more prevalent. Back then you didn't see as many articles. Um, but, I went, you know what? I got to wake up an hour earlier. I got to give this a try. And and then I wanted it to be the ultimate morning ritual. I thought, okay, if I'm going to wake up early, I want like, what's the most effective thing that I could do during the first hour of my day? So I continue searching online and just Googling and I come across meditation. I come across visualization. I come across exercise. I come across reading. I come across journaling. I come across affirmations. And I'm seeing all these, you know, from you know, world-class athletes to celebrities to CEOs. And they swear by any one of those six practices that I just rattled off. But none of them are better than the other. It just depends on who you ask. You know, Will Smith said to Ellen, the reason I'm the highest paid or one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood is because I've done affirmations since I was 15. And now I, I, my affirmations became my reality after I programmed my subconscious mind enough. So I'm like, well, I got to do affirmations. And then Jim Carrey, of course, is famous for his, you know, visualizing the $10 million payday and making writing a check to himself. And then it became a reality. And I'm going, well, you know, that's a pretty compelling and on and on and on. And then the epiphany, as I'm sitting there going, which one should I do? The epiphany was, what if I did all of these? What if I woke up tomorrow morning and did the six most powerful, proven personal development practices in history? All six of them. Woke up the next morning, did all six. Felt amazing, even though I was terrible at all of them. I didn't know how to meditate. I was learning it all on the fly. But you fast forward now, now, fast forward two months. 
I, 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 that first day I went, if I do this every day, it's only a matter of time before my life turns around. It, you know, and I, and I was thinking six to 12 months. I was thinking like the compound effect, garage slowly, but surely, but it was, it happened faster than I ever thought possible. Less than two months later, I had more than doubled my income. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically, having never been a runner to deciding to run a 52 mile ultra marathon, which I committed like six months later, I, I completed. Um, and my depression was gone on like day two. And because my life changed so fast, I started calling it my miracle morning. It felt like a miracle, but it wasn't a book idea. It wasn't anything I was going to tell anyone about. My coaching client, one of the few that I had left, uh, well, at that point, I guess I had built them back up, but she said, Hal, do you do a morning ritual? And I'm like, I'm, I, I go, oh my gosh, I just started doing this thing. I'm calling my miracle morning. I tell her about it. Two weeks later, we get on the phone and I said, Katie, did you wake up an hour earlier like you committed to? She goes, not exactly. I did one hour earlier for the first week. I go, okay. She says, you're right. It was so good that I've done two, I woke up two hours earlier for the last week and that's what I'm going to stick with. I want, I want, I, I wanted more of it. And she said, I've had the best two weeks in my entire sales career. I read two self-help books. I took your lead. I started running again. And that was when the light bulb went off. And I went, wait, if this is, this changed my life faster than ever that possible. I'm not, and I wasn't a morning person. It changed Katie's life and she wasn't a morning person. This could change the world. This could change anybody's life. And I started working on the book, you know, and that it took three years to write the book. Now you fast forward, that was what, nine years ago, something like that. Now it's being practiced. The Miracle Morning is now practiced by over 500,000 people in over 70 countries. The book's been translated into 27 languages. Um, number one book in Korea. Like, I mean, just, this is some crazy, like, I'm baffled by the Asian whole thing. Lives in Asia. I love it. Yeah, it's crazy. My buddy, my a friend of mine that I used to sell Cutco with sent me all these pictures. He was in a bookstore in Korea, he's Korean and he was visiting his family and the like there's the aisle caps for the Korean version of the miracle morning. And it's number one in the India. It was crazy. So, and now it's, you know, people like Robert Kiyosaki practice it every day. Like people that I've looked up to that then got a hold of my book somehow, like Robert Kiyosaki swears by the lifesavers. He says he does them every single day and people will text me or email me all the time. Hey, I'm in South Africa. Robert Kiyosaki is the keynote speaker. And he just talked for five minutes about how the miracle morning has changed his life. And I'm like, that's crazy. You know? So, yeah, so that, that's the Miracle the, Morning in a nutshell. listeners, just to tie it all together, Lifesavers, that's your acronym to lay all those out, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So real quick, so um, so the SAVERS, SAVERS is the acronym, and silent, it was meditation became journaling. So this, and this, my wife's idea, I was writing the book and I was frustrated one day and she goes, what's wrong? I said, well, I've got these six practices, but there's like no rhyme or reason. You know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's got the cash flow quadrant. It's cute. It fits together. You know, Stephen Covey's got the seven habits. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I need some sort of framework. And she goes, why don't you get a thesaurus and see if any of the words of those practices are interchangeable for other words and put it into an acronym. So I owe this to my brilliant wife, but S is for silence. That's your meditation or your prayer or both. A is for affirmations. V for visualization. E for exercise, R for reading, and the final S, which was journaling, is now scribing. Mm -hmm. And Robert Kiyosaki, he interviewed me on his show and he said it best. He goes, Hal, before the miracle morning, every successful person on the planet swears, swore by at least one of the savers. He goes, but I've never heard of anyone that did three of them, let alone all six of them. And he said that, but, but he goes, but all six are life changing. So he goes, I now do all six every day and I have the miracle morning, you know, to thank for that. 
And I'm going to drill this home because I swear like I'm on my soapbox every episode. <laughs> Brilliance of it is the fact that you made it easy, right? Easy to remember this nice little acronym or that nobody's going to forget. We're on that with our clients a lot that you've got to take financial services yeah. and make it a simple framework that people understand, that get, that gives them comfort, right? And so yeah. I love that you went back and you're like, how can I fit this into an easy to remember framework so that people can actually take it and run with it and they don't need your book with them to be able to remember what to do. Yeah, you're right. And people tell me that all the time that they, you know, they go in my, cause they, you know, once you've been on the savers for a few days, you memorize them pretty quickly, you know? And then people always tell me that in their head, they go S, you know, they literally, that's how they do it. They just go, okay, now it's time for, now it's time for affirmations. Now it's time for visualization. Now it's time to, you know, and you can, you can totally customize the order. People will do their exercise first or last or, you know, whatever. But, um, but, but yeah, I think that, that, cause that's the thing is I was really insecure writing the book going, well, I didn't invent any of this, right? Like I didn't invent waking up early. I didn't invent any of the practices. Um, but uh, but I, yeah, sexy, huh? I just made it yeah, sexy, simple, et cetera. And when I think that to your point um, about the, like, the power of that simplicity in the acronym is if you take any one of the savers, any one of them, people will try to implement as a habit. Like, oh, I've, I've tried to implement meditation before. I've tried to, I've tried to implement, you know, reading consistently or journaling or whatever. So it's like, if you, if you take all six of them that you're like, oh, if you, and you separate them, you're like, well, how could I, I, there's no way I could find time to, how am I going to find time to meditate and to exercise and to read and to do journaling right there? There's no way. But because it's all done at the same time in as little as, you know, six minutes, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the book to do is six minute version or a, 30 minute version or most people do, I think 60 minutes, but you know, you can do, it's totally customizable, you know, so doing them all at once makes it like, Oh, I can wrap my head around these six things being all done in a quick little cute, easy routine versus having to fit all six of them in at different parts of the day. And the fact done daily, right? So say you only have five to 10 minutes to read. Well, you're knocking out eight to 10 pages, if not more every single morning, you're cranking through some books pretty quick if you're doing that. Yeah, that's a, yeah. 10 pages a day is like a book and a half a month. You're a different yeah. person. All right. So I'm just reading the listeners and the viewers' minds right now. Let's I start with that, that psychic ability, bro. This is amazing. At this point, I've really been able to do it. So <laughs> awesome. what time do you wake up each morning? Uh, so it used to be 3.30 a.m. for like the last seven, eight, nine years. Uh, and then once I got cancer... I decided I would throw an extra hour of sleep in. So now uh, I'm up. Uh, now my alarm goes off at 4.30. And uh, I will sometimes do the first part of Miracle Morning. Like I'll actually do my, I'll, I'll sometimes roll over and I'll get my phone and do my, aff- I'll read my affirmations while mm-hmm. I'm laying there, um, which is a new thing. I used to like jump out of bed right away. And, and so I'm kind of experimenting, you know, with, with things. But, but yeah, it's definitely, um, I used to sleep five and a half to six hours. Now I get seven hours every night. That's one of my post-cancer uh, you know, protocols is a little more rest. Um, but uh, yeah, so I get up at four, four between four thirty and five at the latest. Okay. So a lot of people would be like, that sounds crazy. Right. But what's interesting is going back to the framework, the mindset that you have with it, four thirty is not early. It's only early if you don't get your required sleep. Sure. 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 Right? If you're binging on Netflix till midnight, it's early. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's one of the things one of my friends calls it. It's like domino affect goals. And yeah. it's like, if you've got the solid morning routine, it actually, you're not going to be out with your buddies till 2am drinking beers. If part of your routine is I'm working out at, you know, part of my morning routine is 4.30 or 5am workout routine. And hopefully you've got some accountability partners tied in there too. But yeah. that's what I found is 
a lot of people say I'm not a morning person. It's because they don't actually rewind the clock to the previous night and make sure they're getting in the hours needed. Yeah. I would love your mindset there because you've helped hundreds of thousands of people implement this. So do you have some tips or tricks on how do you make sure you're getting the required rest the night before so you can be a morning person? So the first thing that I'll say on that is that I'm not a morning person is a limiting belief, right? And I, I call that out in the book. Um, and, and it's a belief. And that was another one of my insecurities as an, as the author is I go, how am I going to like, that's a powerful voice in someone's head, a powerful belief that they've reinforced their entire life. They're like, dude, I have, I'm not a morning person. How do I know that? Cause I hated waking up for 30, 40, 50, whatever. You know, it's like, how am I going to overcome that? So what's interesting is I surveyed our community once cause I was on an interview. Somebody asked me this was a couple of years ago. They said, what percentage of your community uh, of miracle morning practitioners were already morning people before they read the book. So this was easy. They just had a new routine to do in their morning time. And he said, what percentage of them had had that limiting belief saying, I'm not a morning person. And they had to actually overcome that to do this miracle morning. And I didn't know the answer. So I posted it in our, you know, the miracle morning community is a Facebook group with a hundred thousand people in it. So I can get a pretty good sampling, you know, pretty quickly with a question. Um, and 72% of our members said, I was never a morning person in my entire life until I read the book. And so I would show anybody listening that's kind of going, yeah, this sounds good, but I'm not a morning person. Like you can join the club. That's most people that are doing the miracle morning now. So there's an entire chapter in the book dedicated to, it's called the five step snooze proof wake up strategy, as you know. And then, now it's arguably the shortest chapter in the book. It's like four pages. It's arguably the most, it's the linchpin. And I didn't know this, you know, it's all hindsight. But if I had not put that chapter in there, it teaches you how to beat the snooze button and become a morning person, even if you've never been one your entire life. Without that, I think that there'd be hundreds of thousands who are in the world that went, oh yeah, I read the book and I tried it for two days, but then I fell back into my old routine. Um, and so I'll give you some of the most important uh, parts of that five-step strategy. Um, number one is, is, is the night before. So prepping it with a bedtime alarm. So I start, I encourage people to set a bedtime alarm that goes off. So I have like, I, I don't, I don't anymore because it's automatic, but for probably two years, I had a couple alarms that went off one hour before that said, Hey, it was one hour, you know, one hour till bedtime. That's what the alarm said. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's like start winding down. Then 30 minutes, it would go 30 minutes till bedtime. Make sure you're get ready, you know, get ready. And then 15 minutes, it would go off again and say, go brush your freaking teeth. You know, it's time to be ready for bed. So that was a big part of it. You've got to commit to that, to commit to going to bed. And at first you might be laying there, you know, it might be tough to go to sleep, but force yourself to wake up. And like you said, that domino effect, if you get up in the morning, you force it, you're kind of, even if you're a little tired, um, it's going to make you more tired at night, right? So you kind of have to reset your clock, if you will. One of the biggest tips I'll give you though, is to set the alarm clock across the room as far as possible. Most of us have our alarm clock on our bedside table within arm's reach. And I don't care who you are, myself included. I have no discipline. Those first few moments, the alarm goes off. You're still in dreamland. You're half asleep and you just reach over like mindlessly with your eyes closed and you just, you know, you tap off your alarm. So when your alarm clock is across the room, like for me, it's in my, in my bathroom on the sink, right next to the toothbrush. When the alarm goes off, once, if you have to get up out of bed, you are 10 times more awake when you're upright than when you're horizontal laying there. So you get up out of bed to turn the alarm off. And then the next step is as soon as the alarm's off, go, you know, if it's in the bathroom, it's easy. If not, put it in your doorway on the way to the bathroom. So you pick up your phone or your alarm or whatever, you turn it off and you go straight to the bathroom sink 
and you brush your teeth, you wash your face, and what I call your wake up motivation level, which is how motivated you are to stay awake in the morning, it goes up, let's say, by a point every minute that you stay awake. So just getting out of bed takes you from a, a level two on a scale of one to 10. Let's say you're a one or a two when the alarm goes off and you, you know, those first few seconds or few, few moments. If you're at a one or a two, by waking up and having to walk into the bathroom, you go from a one or a two to like a four or a five. Doesn't mean you're, you know, you're still probably rather go back to bed, but you're now way more awake and it's much, it takes much less discipline or willpower to stay awake. Well, if you brush your teeth, wash your face, you're now at like a five, six or seven. It's getting easier and easier to stay awake. And then the last tip I'll give you is have a glass of water sitting there that says living the dream on it. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to say that, but, uh, but have a glass of water sitting there uh, by the, by the sink. That's what I do. And then as soon as my teeth are brushed, I down it like a college kid at a keg party. Like I just pound the water and now I'm high, I'm hydrated. Cause think about this. They never taught us this in high school. I don't know why. When you wake up in the morning, you've gone six, seven, eight, nine hours without any water. You're dehydrated by default. Think about that. You're dehydrated by default. No one teaches this, but dehydration and fatigue go hand in hand. So the first thing that I do is I down a full glass of water or as much as I possibly can. Then I go in the, and then I, and then I, last tip I'll give you. I said that was the last one. The last one is bonus, bonus tip. Bonus tip. Get the hell out of your bedroom. Okay. Get the hell out of your bedroom. If you sit there and your bed is within your vision, that's like someone trying to quit smoking and they keep a pack of cigarettes in front of them at all times, right? That's bad news. It's, it's very tempting to crawl under those covers. So for me, like this morning was a good example. I actually wanted to go back into bed. I, like, I, I didn't feel, you know, some mornings you're more awake, less awake. I wanted to go back to bed, but I knew I just, that, that moment of decision I went, all right, I got to go sit on my couch and, and, and wake up. So I went into the living room where I had my miracle morning, got my book, my journal, everything's out there, sitting out there and then drinking another glass of water. I made some bulletproof coffee, yada, 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 right? But now I'm awake and, and, and then it's much easier to stay awake. And if you need to, you know, go for a walk or, or whatever. But that alarm clock across the room, directly into the bathroom to brush your teeth, into drinking a full glass of water. And then if you want to put on your workout clothes, you know, so you're, Signal your brain, hey, I'm going to work out at some point in the, you know, in the near future. That's a good thing. And then get the heck out of your bedroom. And I remember you mentioned in the book too, the workout clothes, that was kind of option A. And option B was if you're still struggling, some of your people will just take a shower right yeah. there just to yeah. snap into it. Yeah, that's another thing. Again, because every minute, yeah, there's two great things about that. Yeah, if you're really tired, jump in the shower. If you need to be cold, great. You know, Listerine is another bonus tip I gave in the book. I'm like, when you're brushing your teeth, use some Listerine and you're all right. That, that lights up your whole face. Your, your senses are alive. But yeah, if you need to j- jump in the shower, right? Take your shower right there. And then again, not only is it waking you up, it's refreshing you. But again, every minute that you're awake, your wake up motivation level is, is just notching up higher and higher and higher. Yeah, that chapter, you brought it up before I could, but that was the chapter for me because it's once, once you kind of have a couple of tips or tricks, it gets you over that hump. And then once you've kind of programmed your body to be in that sleep pattern, it's really pretty simple from there once you've been doing it a couple of weeks. So yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. And, and, and one other thing I'll share. In fact, this is a resource anybody can get right now. It's in the book, but you can get it before you get the book. If you go to tmmbook.com, so TMM as in the miracle morning, tmmbook.com, uh, all the bonuses that are in the book, affirm, sample affirmations, journal, all sorts of stuff. 
um, you get all of it. But one of the things you get specifically is the, the bedtime affirmations. And this is about, you know, a couple of paragraphs that I wrote. They're my own affirmations that I wrote for me because I know the power of programming your subconscious before you go to bed. Because the last thought you had before bed, think about this. It's usually the first thought you have in the morning. It's that same thought as you went before you went to bed. So as a kid, you know, if I was, if I went to bed thinking about Christmas morning, right? And I was excited to wake up. Well, then when the, when I opened my eyes in the morning, my first thought was it's Christmas morning, right? So in the same way, a lot of us go to bed going, Oh God, I got to wake up in six hours. I'm going to be exhausted. Right. And then that's our first thought is, Oh, it's the morning. I'm exhausted. That's terrible. That's not how you want to wake up every day. So I have an, I wrote an affirmation and you can start using this, you know, today before you even read the book. Um, but the bedtime affirmations, you read them and they, they essentially, I tell myself, you know, you're going to tell yourself, I'm getting X amount of hours of sleep tonight. No matter how many hours it is, it's the perfect amount. And I'm going to wake up with energy and motivation, yada, yada, yada. And I've had so many people tell me that they read the bedtime affirmations for the first, you know, I don't know, 30, 60, how many days. And the first day that they didn't read the bedtime affirmations, I've had at least a dozen people tell me this personally. First day, they didn't read the bedtime affirmations because they either forgot or they thought they didn't need to or whatever. It was the first day since they started the Miracle Morning that they they missed it. They, they hit the snooze button and stuff to the alarm clock, you know? So it's really, really fascinating how that works. Yeah, it is interesting how that works. Okay, so one of the things that I appreciate about your book is it's become a movement. It's not just a book, it's a movement. And it's become a community from there. Or maybe a community and then a movement. And then a movement, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? One of the things you did really well throughout the book was these free tools and the downloads. So. A lot of our clients, a lot of financial advisors, they've written books. And ideally, they would like their book to grow their financial services practice, right? So it's a value proposition to the readers. But ideally, hopefully, it attracts future clients to them. So I thought it would be fun to just dig in a little bit there. Were there certain things that you put throughout the book so that people could greater connect with you? I actually checked your Facebook group today. I think you're up to 118,000 members in the Miracle Morning community. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot we can take from that. So wherever you want to go with that question or that thought process, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and I'll give a a free resource that there's no even not even an opt in or anything. But I did an interview on this. So if you want to like one hour meet on my best, you know, like a full interview on book writing and how to write a book that becomes a movement and earns you a fortune, um, if you Google Hal Elrod Beyond the Bestseller. So I did an interview with Jordan Harbinger on the Art of Charm podcast, and uh, and and this was the first time ever I you know he, he's like hey you always talk about miracle or I had already done Miracle Morning on his show and he goes uh, do so what, what else can we talk about and I was like well I can give you the best book stuff and so you can hear an in depth but I'll give you a, a few like the most important parts of this um the, some of the strategies so in terms of answering your question were there things I put in the book to help you know influence readers to better connect with me to take actions that I wanted people to take etc. Um, yes. And I would say that probably 50% of them, give or take, were on purpose and 50% of them were totally on accident. I look back, go, Oh my gosh, that was genius. Thankfully I did that. Or somebody, a lot of like great example, the miracle morning community, that was 11th hour. And that's been the, that's been the biggest part of the movement probably is this group of 115,000 people, by the way, just to be very clear with everyone, totally organic. I've never paid for any ad. I've never advertised the group at all. Every person that comes in that group is because they've read the book and then they're invited. You know, it, it invites them in, in the beginning and invites them in at the end, in case they missed the beginning. Um, but the, uh, 
the biggest, here's the biggest thing. The number one, uh, I believe the number one thing to put into a book, if you want your book to make an impact uh, and increase your income, right? And to me, those are really the two things that uh, my two objectives with a book. And income wasn't an objective when I wrote the book because I didn't think it was going to sell that many copies, believe it or not. Um, but the, uh, so I was really looking for impact. I thought this changed my life and I felt a sense of responsibility to pay it forward and share the miracle morning with people. That, that's, that's why I wrote the book. Literally, I didn't think it would be a big, you know, bestseller. I didn't know. Um, so I was, I wanted impact, but now because it's created, it's one of my biggest sources of income is, is, is the miracle morning book. And so because of that, now I go, okay, well, now that I, in hindsight, Everyone should write a book to create impact and income. And of course, income is a form of impact. So the number one thing that most books do not do that I believe that you must do if you want your book to really maximize impact and income for you is it needs to change people's behavior. And ideally, it needs to change their daily behavior. Think about this, Brad, and anybody listening. Most books, they don't change your behavior. They just shift your thinking. And they do it very, most books do it very short term because there's only so much capacity in our brain to, you know, think about information, right? So how many times have you done this, Brad, where you're reading a book and you go, oh my God, this is the, like, it's, it's changing your, you're like, wow, I never thought about that. That's brilliant. That's, that is a, wow, it's a huge, right? And you're reading it and you're going, this is like, this is great. And maybe you're talking about it to other people. You're going, yo, have you read this? You should read this book. It's great. But here's the problem because it's not changing your behavior or at least, and especially not your daily behavior. As soon as you're done reading that book, you start reading another book. And now that's the book you're talking about because that's the book that's making you think differently. Right. Right. But if that first book had changed your daily behavior in a way that was meaningful, that was lasting, that that was making an impact for you and adding value for you every day. Well, you're going to keep talking about it forever. Just like miracle morning. Right. Cause you're, you're like, I do this every single day. And so, so that's it. Most books only change your thinking and it's short lived. But if you change someone's daily behavior, then now, and in a way that adds value for them, well, they're going to talk about it forever. And I'll give you some examples that you can apply to, you know, uh, so if you're a financial advisor, right? Um, I would have people doing some sort of daily, or it could be weekly, by the way. It doesn't have to be a daily behavior change. It could be weekly. So let's say a weekly change where they are changing their... um, Actually, I I just thought of... I'm going to give you a really very concrete example that I've done financially with all of my coaching clients. So this will be good. Remind me if I forget. Um, But the... uh, uh, And remind me of uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. That was where I I got the idea for this. So Secrets of the Millionaire Mind uh, on weekly habit change. So that's it. But the... um, but if you're a financial advisor, having them do a ritual every day, every week. So I'll just, I'll, I'll go right into what I was going to have you remind me of. We'll just go into it now. We just cover it now, Hal. Yeah, just why, why that's, yeah, yeah. that's the next logical step anyway. So in the book, you ever read Secrets of the Millionaire Mind? I have not read that one yet, but it's Elker, okay. right? Is the author C- on that C. one? C.R. Becker. Yeah. Or no, no. Yeah, T.R. Becker. Yeah. yeah. So Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, I read however many years. Oh, actually, I read it in 2008. That's funny. This was a part of my financial turnaround, actually. I read in 2008 and he basically said that you should set up five bank accounts to start managing your money. This is like the, it's like reverse budgeting kind of. Instead of setting a budget, you just take a percentage of every dollar when you get paid, you take, and, and the goal was 50% of your income 
to be moved out of your normal checking account and kind of managed. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, I couldn't, 100% of my income wasn't covering my bills. And he addressed that. He goes, now, if you're thinking, I, I can't even live off of 100% of my income, let alone 50, he said, that's fine. Start with taking whatever you can afford. Take $5 out of every paycheck and put a dollar into each of those five accounts. Now, those five accounts, one is your long-term savings account. So it's your actually your financial freedom account, right? So that'd be what you would invest in retirement. The next one was long-term spending, which is buying things that you need to save for. And most of us, what do we do? We put it on a credit card, right? Oh, I can't afford that, but I really want it. Oh, I'll put it on a credit card, right? He said, to have discipline, you want a computer, but you don't have a thousand bucks or whatever. You put it in that account until you have a thousand dollars and then you buy the computer. You want a down payment on your house? You put it in that long-term spending account, right? Third account was your play account. That's my favorite account, right? Just for, he goes, you, even if you're broke, you should spend a dollar, you know, a percentage of your income on things you can't afford. The mm-hmm. next, fourth was your giving account, right? Giving back to charity. And then the, uh, the last one was your, I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. Go read the book. So after you read, after you read the miracle morning, uh, in fact, I recommend that book at the end of my book, I think. But so here's the point. Uh, my coaching. So I started right away with a dollar in each account. I set up the accounts, dollar in each account, right? And then as my income increased, I put five dollars in each account. And then I got to percentages. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do 10%. And then, you know, I kept increasing the percentages. Here's the point. I still talk about that book. I can't tell you how many books I've read on money that I never talk about because they got me to think differently about money, but I didn't really do much differently. That is a ritual. Every time to this day, this is like 2005, I read that book, I think, or six or I don't know, way back when, roughly 10 years ago, 10 years later, I still, when I get paid, I put a percentage of every dollar that comes in into those accounts. So that's an example of, behavior change that gets me to continue talking about that book and, and valuing T. Harbecker is, you know, um, I've gone to his seminars, I've done, you know, all sorts of stuff. That's solid. It's funny because a lot of people write about it, but it's more educational as opposed to actually from an implementation standpoint, how do you actually act on this? So I think that's solid. And here's the thing, you know, to the point of, like you said, with Miracle Morning and you know, I was able to make things simple. I think if there's anything that I have a, a gift at or a talent at, um, I think it's been really taking the complicated and making it simple, right? So taking what could be complex and, and, and really simple, not only simplifying it, but making, putting it into action, something that a five-year-old could do, right? So like that five-step snooze-proof wake-up strategy is so simple. And in the book, you have to, like you said earlier, Brad, when you're like, I'm going to be a side, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to get into the heads of our listeners and like, okay, what are they thinking? What are their concerns? When you write a book or when you're communicating or selling anything, you've got to anticipate what, like in every sentence that I write, I'm going, what's the reader going to think, feel, or worry about right when they're reading this sentence and this paragraph, right? And it takes me a long time to write because I I really hyper analyze and, and think about that. But I go, okay, well, at this part, when I'm, I'm telling them, hey, you should give this a try, what are their objections going to be? What are their fears going to be? What are their concerns going to be? And then I go, hey, you might be thinking one of the following. And I'm, I list the five top concerns, right? And I'll go, and then I'll address each. Here's how you overcome each one. Here's how you, right? Give them a small win. Pat Flynn always teaches that. Give them a small win right up front. 
give them something they can do right up front that they'll feel good about, congratulate them, commend them for it. And they feel they have now they have more confidence to keep moving forward. Um, but that's such an important part is you've got to hold their hand, make it so easy for them to implement it and then handle their concerns in advance. When I was selling Cutco, I created something with this philosophy that I just explained called the emotional roller coaster close. And I think I just said it one day, like in a presentation or, you know, and then I was like, Ooh, that was, and it worked, but it was the emotional roller coaster close. And I would, and I'll, I'm trying to remember it now. I haven't sold a Cutco in a long time, but uh, it was something along the lines of right when I presented the price, right? Which is that moment when they're going, you know, we're at the moment of, they know I'm about to ask them to buy something. Right. And they're like, that tension between everybody, you know, in the, in the, in, in the situation. I said, um, so, so here's how much it costs. Then I'd be quiet for a second. I'd go, now, Mary, I go, you know, I, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I mean, if you're like most people, though, you're probably thinking, you know, gosh, that's a lot of money for knives. You know, uh, most people that I see, Mary, that, you know, that that's more money than they've ever spent on knives. And they're, you know, they're, there's, there's always like a fear, you know, which I think is totally normal. So what am I doing right now? So let me pause everybody. I'm, I know I'm going to explain, right? So I'm saying that and they're going, wow, they're, they're feeling totally understood. They're totally, they, they're, they went from resisting what I would, they knew I was about to sell them and that natural resistance was starting to come up. And they're going, okay, he's about to ask for the order. But when I go now, Betty, most people feel that this is a big purchase. They're actually really nervous to, to spend money. I don't know if you're thinking that. And they're going, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And now they're, they just, think about the emotional shift. They go, they went from resisting to, being curious as to where is he going with this, right? Now they're, they're leaning in and they're listening. I go, they're, they're concerned because it's a lot of money for knives. I go, but then what they realize is, you know, mo- most people decide to get, you know, get the, get the set because that 30 day trial, there's no risk. So I'm reminding them, oh yeah, there's no risk. But I then I told them that 30 minutes ago in the presentation, they don't run, that's not top of mind for them. So I'm reminding them, but I'm not doing it in a way where I'm, I'm doing it in a salesy way where I'm saying it straight to them. Like, Betty, you can get this because it's 30 days, right? Mm-hmm. I'm saying most people are fine with that 30 day no risk, you know, guarantee because there, there's no risk. And she goes, Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. I go, so they decide to at least try it. There's no risk in trying it. You know, I go, and what they find, Betty, is as soon as they start using it, it's so much better as you saw today than what they're used to using that they, they wondered how they ever lived without it. And they realized, you know what? I'm going to have this not for a few years, but for the rest of my life. And I go, because of that, they realize this is not, it's not a purchase. It really is an investment. I go, so anyway, so I don't know. What are your thoughts? That's how I close. I don't say, do you want to get it where I pin them in a yes, no. I go, so I, I just give them, I lay out, I, I, I enter their world and then I ask what their thoughts are. And the beauty of that, and this, anyone can close anything on, in this way, right? Is that they don't feel the pressure to say yes or no they feel this space to share their thoughts. And, and it's in this way where it's non-confrontational. It's, it's what, you know, um, they'll go, well, you know, I mean, I'm, just, I'm not sure if it's just, it's, it's interesting. Like the, the, the dynamic is so different in the way that they share what, what would be an objection, but now it's their thoughts. Cause I didn't ask them if they want to buy. I just said, what are your, what are your thoughts? And, and then they share their thoughts. And then I, 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 I address, uh, you know, well, it's, you know, I really, um, it's a lot of money. I go, oh, well, you want it? You can do the five payments if you, is that easier? And they go, well, yeah, that'd be a little easier. I go, so how does, you know, how does that sound? So it's just, I, I almost never, until I've got them to where I can tell they're like ready, you know, I've, I've, I've broken through all the major objections, their concerns. I go, so you want to go into that? No, yeah. 
you know? So, yeah. so yeah, so there you go. So that you can, but doing that in a book, right? That yeah. emotional role that you're always entering the world of the customer and, and or, or the reader or the, you know, prospect, et cetera. And then you're emotionally guiding them to feel comfortable to move forward with you. It's something missing in the vast majority of any sales industry is empathy. You know, actually getting in the mind of your prospect and here's what they're actually probably concerned about or thinking. One of the things we coach on a lot is a lot of our financial advisors, they'll have public educational events, seminars, whatever you want to call them. What you're really selling is comfort, right? You're not selling a product. They came into that presentation with concerns. And as you said, you're simplifying the complex. Financial services are a really complex world that a lot of people have anxiety about. And if you can truly simplify it and bring comfort to them, those are the guys that are the very best at what they do, at least in our world. So, Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So let's go here. And I know we've only got a few minutes left, but man, I've still got tons of questions. So it's my fault for being super long-winded. No, you're good. I just, (laughs) I just let you roll there because that was good stuff. Okay. So let's come back full circle and in your book. And I know you basically, you've had different versions of your book and you've updated it because you self-published it, which is a whole nother tangent we could go down, but you have like little anchors throughout little tools the like the five snooze proof tips to waking up or whatever I'm butchering there. Yeah, yeah. But you have little tips where, hey, if you like this, here's a free resource. Just go here. And now you're capturing names and emails. That becomes your community, your list as everybody, your email list is incredibly valuable, which then, you know, you've gotten them onto the Facebook community as well. So was there a methodology to here's how I'm going to sprinkle little tools throughout my book to create a higher level of engagement? Yeah. So in order to get people to, you know, to subscribe to your email list and that sort of thing, um, what, what I, the approach that I took is I have, there's five, roughly five different bonuses in the book that people can download. And that's, that's, you guys will get them all at, it's that tmmbook.com site. Um, uh, and, and I, and, and they're mentioned, uh, so for example, when I'm explaining the power of affirmations, right? And, and of course, if you're doing a good job, you know, in your, in your book or in your whatever, you're, you're, you're selling them on the value, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I, these could change my life. I got to do them. And then the bonus is, Hey, if you want to, uh, and by the way, this is actually kind of a bonus, bonus tip to the bonus, which is, um, I, I, instead of just giving sample affirmations, which is, was my, which I, which I do, I took it a step further and I go, if you want to download my affirmations, my own personal affirmations from this year that I wrote this book and achieved these other goals, I go, by the way, this book, and this is again, entering into their world. I go, this book has been on my list for three years to write, but fear held me back. If you have any goals on your list that fear has held you back from, check out the affirmations that I use that actually are responsible for me writing this book. So it's like, that's a really cool, well, I I get to actually read the author's personal affirmation. That's cool, right? So that's a cool other thing. Um, And then we get to the the, uh, the part on, um, journaling, right? They can download a sample journal with the affirmations. There's a bedtime affirmation. So there's all these different bonuses in the book. And I always, I kind of joke when I talk on this, like the beyond the bestseller, you know, topic or whatever. I go, if by the fifth bonus, they haven't opted in, either your book sucks or your bonuses suck. Cause if, 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 you know, if you have, if five bonuses haven't been compelling enough, you know, right. And I mean, I can tell folks that, um, we have over 10,000 people opt in every month, uh, from the book, you know, 
Now, granted, uh, we're selling a lot, you know, I mean, we're selling more copies of that a month of the book. So that, that, that there correlates, you know, um, but we, well, I can share this roughly. It's been years since I checked the stats, but when I did check the stats a couple of years ago, roughly 80% of everyone that read the Miracle Morning opted in for the bonuses. And I looked that up because I was at a publishing conference and a publisher, a traditional publisher was asked the question, how many people opt in for bonuses in your readers' books for your re- for your authors? And uh, she said, it, I think the average across the board was like 17%. So when I found out, I'm like, we're getting 80% and the average is 17%. And so the only thing I could attribute that to was that the bonuses were, you know, there were multiple bonuses all in one spot, sprinkled throughout the book. Each were relevant to what they were learning about. You know, so yeah, so that was the strategy. Yeah. And it was going back to the ritual, you know, Hey, I want to start, I'm going to try this tomorrow morning. Hey, here's an easy way to do it. I'll just basically plagiarize Hal's affirmations and I'll just use those as my own. That's what I personally did. So hopefully you're cool with that. That's all. Yeah. I'm all, I plagiarized, I, 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 or they call it modeling. I model people all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So I want to hit on something because not only has your book now been published all over the world, but now there's this documentary that's happening now because of the book as well. So can you give us some teasers on that? I think you're nearing the end of production, aren't you? Yeah. So we're going to, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's been a, a very nerve wracking. It's been over two years uh, that we've been filming the documentary and it features, um, I'll just rattle off folks uh, and their morning rituals in the, in the movie. So uh, Lewis Howes, host of School of Greatness podcast, Robert Kiyosaki, author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robin Sharma, author, leader with no title, um, Dr. John Gray, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, Layla Ali, 18-time world champion boxer and daughter, Muhammad Ali, um, Brendan Burchard. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Like, it's just, it, it, it's the, the cast, it blows me away that people, you know, just, it's kind of like, you know, I got Robert Kiyosaki was the first person I got in the movie because he was, a, I, I knew he was a fan. Yeah. And I thought if I can get Robert and then I can name drop Robert, you know, <laughs> and so that, and then I was able to get another big name and then name drop that, you know, it's like, it just kind of spread. It's, it's really exciting. Um, but, uh, but it, the, the, the movie, uh, it also follows three or four. I'll, I'll, it's funny. I haven't even seen it yet. Like it's, it's, it, I'm supposed to get the first cut this week. Um, but, uh, but we followed some just, you know, non celebrity, you know, just ordinary folks, if you will, that had amazing transformations with the miracle morning. One, uh, Mike Eaton, he lost 90 pounds after starting the Miracle Morning. Another gentleman, Keith Minnick, he, uh, he had lost his daughter. His, his baby daughter had died and he went into a deep depression. He was the director of business development at CNN. So he's a big, you know, very successful guy. Went into this depression and everyone recommended all these books on grief and losing a loved one and nothing worked. Someone recommended Miracle Morning and it turned his life around. He left his, his, his position to start his own business. I mean, just, these really fascinating, really inspiring stories. Uh, and then it tells my story of, you know, the whole journey. And, you know, we were halfway through filming the movie and I got cancer. So the whole, the, the, the last, you know, the final scenes of the movie are oh, the whole, we're totally unplanned. Um, but we're going to debut the Miracle Morning movie at my, at the, my live event. Once a year, we do an event. This is our fourth annual best year ever blueprint um, coming up uh, in November, November 17th through 19th. Will this air before that? It will. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, if you want to go, go, everybody listening, go to bestyearoverlive.com. Uh, it's a really, it's, it's a, it's a very unique event. Um, it's unlike 
99% of events that I've been to, which is you don't just sit there and take notes the whole time. It's extraordinarily experiential where anything that we teach you how to do, you actually do, you experience, you share, you engage, you interact with the people in the room uh, and you actually, you know, you, you do it right then and there. It's really, really cool. I want to give you a plug. Um, and okay. Our buddy John Berghoff also helps you host that, correct? John Berghoff, he actually runs 80% of it. He's the, yeah. he's the facilitator. Yeah, he's the genius that does this. Um, and then John Rowland, our other buddy, is going to be speaking at this year's event. Um, as is Joe Polish, who runs the Genius Network. He'll be speaking. We have Entrepreneur Day. The, the, the main event is November 18th and 19th, Saturday, Sunday. And then you can upgrade to Entrepreneur Day, which is the Friday before. And we're going to have Joe Polish, um, David Osborne. You know David Osborne? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, $80 million, 80 million net worth and New York Times bestseller. So he, he'll be there. Um, who else? Joe Polish, Mike Keenigs, Christopher Lockhead, who I don't know if you've interviewed Christopher Lockhead, but you know, he's retired now. He's retired very young, very successful. But so yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really special, special event. And I missed it last year. I had to cancel my flight. I was in the hospital getting chemotherapy, planning on flying the, from chemotherapy to the event. And I got this crazy infection where my whole face, my eye and my face swole up like the elephant man. And I had to cancel the flight. And I ended up streaming in uh, via via computer. But yeah, so it's like, it's really meaningful. I missed last year my own event, if you will. And uh, I, I'll, I'll be there this year. So not, knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. Well, John, uh, who has been on an episode before, so we'll put his episode in the show notes here. But cool. Actually, well, the first time we met was the dad's retreat run by our other buddy, yeah. John Roman. It's like all of your buddies' names. John started. will be there. I know, exactly. I'm the only, yeah. John yeah. Roman, he'll be speaking, uh, author of The Front Row Factor. Uh, John Rowland will be speaking. John Berghoff runs the event. Yeah, yeah. The other John. So, but that was my first experience with the way John Berghoff facilitates a meeting. And it was so powerful. Advisors Excel, uh, our company actually brought him in to facilitate our events. So it awesome. speaks to just the power of, it's not the typical, somebody speaks from stage at you. It's a lot of interaction. So yeah, uh, it's not going home with more pages of notes than you can handle. And yeah. then it's like, I always tell people like, for example, we teach you how to form a mastermind at the event in case you don't have a mastermind. But instead of waiting until you get home and again, having to search through your notes and be like, wait, how did I, what, okay, what do I need to do? You form it in the room with yeah. your like-minded fellow attendees. So when you leave the event, you have a mastermind formed and you've got your first date set. You know what I mean? Like, do, well, why go home having to do everything you learned there? Why not do as much of it as you can uh, while you're there? That's brilliant. And it's in San Diego in November, which the average uh, weather is like 74 degrees or something. So, And it's at the nicest hotel in San Diego, in my opinion, the Grand Manchester Grand Hyatt, which is on the water. It's gorgeous. Hey, you had me at San Diego because I, I mean, I live in Kansas. So. Ah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It'll be, the weather will be, it'll be a little bit of an upgrade. Uh, um, all right. We're down like the last minutes here, but I want to hit one thing because it's been really cool to see you do this. So the Miracle Morning was... When was it originally published again? 2000? 12, 12, 12. Easy to remember. Okay. So 12, <laughs> 12, 12. And then once again, just going back to, we just covered how you pulled readers into your community. But then what you did, which was brilliant, was you took your Miracle Morning framework and then like Cameron Harold, we just had him speak up in Minneapolis at our event. You co-authored with him Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, there we go. There are the examples. For those tuning in on video, you can see. So basically what you did was you took and applied the Miracle Morning principle 
which by the way, if you want to do Miracle Morning for financial advisors, I know a guy. Yeah. What's funny is I already, in the beginning, I was meant to say that. And so, yeah, let's, let's, we'll have to chat about that. We'll take that offline. So the brilliance of it is you applied the framework, but then you niched it, right? You niched it out to each of these little communities. My wife loves your one for families. Oh, very cool. Lindsay McCarthy, Mike McCarthy's wife, right? So yes. We don't have time, unfortunately, to get all the way into it. But give me your yeah. thought process. Um, obviously, you're expanding your value to different groups, but you also are taking key thought leaders in each of those communities. And now you're bringing their communities into your community. So just give me like kind of the brainchild, how that all came about and what it's done for you. Yeah, like most things. So I, I'm not I'm not a master plan kind of guy. You know, people go, did you, is this your plan, your vision? Your, I'm like, dude, I had no idea. Like, A, it wasn't going to be a book. It was my little morning ritual. Then when I decided to make it a book, I launched it with a lot of insecurity going, is anyone going to read this? And if they do, are they going to change their behavior because I told them to, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but so a lot of it happened organically. Like John Broman was the one that said, hey, you should open up a Facebook group. It was like, that was the 11th hour thing where the book was like a week from coming or like, it was like, I sent it to my friends for one final look over. And he goes, do you have any kind of online community plan? Because all these people are going to be up early and none of nobody, none of their families up, you know, and they, you know, they need a place to plug into. And so he, he suggested the Miracle Morning community. I had no idea it would become the largest, one of the largest, you know, most engaged online communities. So with the book series, Ryan Snow, who did you meet Ryan at the dad's retreat? I did. Yeah. Ryan Snow called me, goes, Hal, ever since I started the Miracle Morning, my sales have dramatically increased. And I, I attributed to the Miracle Morning I think, have you ever thought of doing, doing like a miracle morning for salespeople? Cause they really need it, but we could really, it could be customized with affirmations for them. And I was like, no, you want to, you want to write it with me? You know? And he was like, sure. And that was the birth of the miracle morning book series. And then, and wow. then I was talking to some, some of the top real estate trainers in, you know, in, in the country, um, Michael Mayer, uh, who wrote the book, seven levels of communication. And then Jay Kinder and Michael Reese, I was talking to one of them and, um, he goes, Hal, I read the book to my son every night. He's only two years old. He can't understand it, but I believe that the intentions behind your words are so powerful. I want it going into his soul. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> and uh, he goes, have you thought of doing a book for real estate agents? I was like, well, no, but we're going to do one for salespeople. Let, you know, and then that, that was it, you know, and then, and then it just kind of expanded. And then one of my coaches were like, are you charging people to co-author a book in your series? And I was like, no, who am I to charge people to co-author, you know? And, you know, everything was kind of small. And then he goes, you should charge at least 10,000 bucks. And now it's $20,000. And, you know, we're thinking about raising it again because of the the value proposition is is really great now with people's, how much money they're making and all of that, you know, our co-authors, I mean. So, um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so that's, so that's it. And it, it uh, we kind of slowed down. We were up to like three books a year for the last couple of years. And then we want to, we, we, we want to pull back a little, you know, quality over quantity. So the next two books, I can tell you, we, we did sign the next two books. One, I'm co-authoring with Joe Polish, founder of Genius Network, uh, and, um, and, and a couple different nonprofits. He's big on, uh, helping addicts and changing the, the way addicts are viewed instead of being viewed as like degenerates, being viewed as kind of, you know, people with a disease and they need help and support and love. So we're writing the Miracle Morning for Addiction and Recovery. And then uh, David Osborne and I are writing Miracle Morning Millionaires. And that one I'm really excited about. That was actually the first idea that I ever had, or one of the first ideas I had for a book. It's not Miracle Morning for Millionaires, because that's a limited group. It's Miracle Morning Millionaires. And the subtitle is What They Do Before 8 a.m. That Will Make You Rich. So it's, it's we're interviewing, probably, we'll probably do, you know, roughly two dozen 
uh, millionaires and find out what are a what are their morning rituals, but b what are what are the biggest keys to their financial success? And then that's what the book becomes. And every book is very different. That was the biggest challenge too. Is we'll go, how do you make them? My, my, you know, in, it took a lot of time to work through. How do we make it enough of the original so that if someone hasn't read the original, they can start doing the Miracle Morning, but without making? How do we make it new enough new where if they have read the original, they don't feel like it's a repeat? And so I can just real quickly. The format is basically the first three to four chapters of every book is sums up the entire original book, but it's customized for you know, financial advisors, realtors, whatever. And then the next six to seven chapters are completely fresh content about the, the niche. So meaning um, uh, the real estate book or the salesperson book, it's seven chapters, six chapters on how to sell. So like what I explained earlier, the emotional roller coaster stuff, that's the content in the right the book. So anyone that reads it, the first four chapters are a refresher that's customized for their for them. But then the next six chapters have zero to do with the original book. So it gives it's been the perfect blend. And the um, the average reviews across all of the books in the Miracle Morning book series are four point nine out of five stars on Amazon. Uh, the Miracle Morning book itself is four point six out of five stars. So. The book series books actually, on average, have a higher rating. So you know, wow. so it's, it's good because again, getting over my fear of like, I don't want this to be all of a sudden the books come out and they're just cheap ripoffs of the original. You know, yeah. So luckily, it's the formula we figured out has worked out really well. When was your first one with Ryan? Do you remember off the top of your head? No, 2013, probably, probably roughly a year or so off, off after the original, but I'm not sure. I was just curious if, like, if you could go back and see how much bigger your Facebook community has grown since you kind of syndicated the book to all these different communities. Did you see a massive spike in your Facebook membership? Not, I mean, it definitely helps because every one of the books, it still has the bonuses. It still has the, you know, the, and the Facebook group invite. Um, but the Miracle Morning, the original book still sells more copies than all the other books combined. Wow. So, yeah. So, so no matter what, that's still the number one source of opt-ins of, you know, of, of, of Facebook community, all, all of that. Awesome. Well, we are right at the end. Do you have time for like two or three questions and run? Uh, yeah. Hit me up. Okay. If my uh, stomach's growling though, that, that's, you know. <laughs> I don't want to keep you from lunch or dinner, wherever we're at now. <laughs> uh, so obviously being an author of a book, I have to ask you this. What is your favorite book that made the biggest impact on your life? Is there one that you could pick out of all that you've read? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's a loaded question, right? Well, I'll tell you the first one that comes to mind. And I, you know, I often, I, sometimes I'll kind of be reserved to share, like, this isn't the one I would share if I was thinking about it. So I'll just give you the intuitive answer, which is a book called Conversations with God. Mm-hmm. I read that uh, probably 15 years ago. And then one of the reasons I hesitate, uh, I hesitate to share it because A, God is a very loaded topic, right? Um, but B, I read it 15 years ago. And so I don't know if I would still say it was the best book ever. I think I read it again, like two years after that or something. But, but anyway, but it's, it's, it, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and then I'll just give you one of the best business books, uh, I've ever read, uh, is by MJ DeMarco. It's called The Millionaire Fast Lane. And, What's interesting about that book is that didn't change behavior necessarily. Um, but it did, well, I take that back. It did in the big, in a big picture. It got me to really think about how I orchestrated everything in my business to, to revolve around my life. So that, you know, so that, and that was the, that was the big game changer for me. So yeah, Millionaire Fast Lane is, is, is a fantastic book. 
Awesome. When you hear the word successful, who's the first person you think of and why? Um, ooh, that's a good question. This sounds really totally arrogant and egotistical, but I would say me. <laughs> and I don't mean that in an arrogant or egotistical way, but I, I think that for me, I, I strive to live my life completely in alignment with my values. And I, I think I, I do a, you know, I, I feel like I do a really good job of that, you know? So I feel like uh, integrity and love and authenticity, like those are really what I revolve everything around. And I mean, you, you like you said it in the beginning um, that, uh, you know, that you've asked my friends or whatever, like, you know, it's how really this positive, like, yeah, I, I never put on a front, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and because, uh, and also uh, at this point from a monetary perspective or what, you know, how most will measure success, I've gotten my life at a place where I have freedom to, 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 I'm doing work that I love and earning an income to support my family. And I'm able to give back more money back to charity than I've ever given in my life. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, I mean, it's like, I'm, uh, you know, like I said, I don't mean, I, I hate even saying that. I feel like it asks, but, um, but, but I'm, I'm doing, every, you know, when I like this cup that says live in the dream that I drink from every day, like this is not, I, I look at that and I feel so humbled and grateful uh, in that I'm living the life that I dreamt of for so long. And it took a long ass time to get here. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I really believe that, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Uh, that, you know, people look, oh, wow, you came out of nowhere. And it's like, no, no, no. I worked my butt off for so long and struggled for so long. You know, not just me. I'm saying for anyone that's successful, most people had to go through it before they got to it. You know what I mean? Well, no, I'm going to brag on you so, a little yeah. bit. Don't quote you. Don't put that in writing. I don't. That looks without hearing my tone. That sounds terrible. We'll give it context, man. Okay. And I want to brag on you a little bit because John Vroman is a mutual friend, and his charity, the Front Row Foundation. And we'll put details in the show notes. But he's created a very cool organization, and I know from him saying, "Like you're the largest donor in the history of the Front Row Foundation." So it's really cool to see someone like you that's gone through some struggles. I mean, recently a battle with cancer but still giving back and helping other people that will have been in your situation, I guess, as of now, other cancer survivors or people that are battling really tough situations. So, yeah, no, thank you for that. And when we just, I just started a nonprofit that I just filed a 501c3. So it'll probably be like six months before it's official, but called support the unsupported because I realized during my journey that I have, I'm blessed with family and friends and a community that was really supporting me mentally, emotionally, you know, whatever resources I, I needed um, John, our other friend, John Rulin, at an event raised a hundred thousand dollars to help pay my medical bills. I was there. Uh, oh, Mastermind yeah, that's yeah, yeah, Mastermind yeah. Talks, and and Jason oh. Gagnard obviously was a big part yeah. of that too. Um, but what it made me realize, I was very humbled and grateful by the support, and then I realized talking to other people in the hospital that like, wow, most people don't have this kind of support, you know. And so I started a charity, um, and I don't even fully haven't decided exactly what it's going to do. I just know that I want to offer support, whether it's resources, finances, whatever, to people that are suffering, that don't have the access to the support that, you know, that, that they need. And, and so, yeah, so I'm excited for that. That's cool. Let me know once it's live, man. Love, yeah, love to support it. Absolutely. All right. Last question here. And before I get to it, I just want to say thank you. You've already inspired me through your writing. Getting to know you in person has been cool. You know, it's not like we're best friends and text each other on the weekends or anything, but I just want to say thank you because... Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, sorry, Brad. Yeah, keep going. But yeah, I just love genuine people. That's just the bottom line. And you are as advertised and 
it's cool to see your writings impact people. They've impacted me. But even more recently, what truly hit home with me was how you carried yourself this last year of your life. That's modeling what, what you're all about. And going back to your kids, like, congratulations, because that's being a hell of a father. That's teaching them some life lessons. So I just want to say thank you for carving out the time. And, and this has been an incredible conversation. You are welcome. And, and the feelings are mutual, my friend. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll be, uh, we'll be doing this again to announce the Miracle Morning for financial advisors uh, in, in the next year. I'm open to that. Okay. So I'll, I'll hit you with the last question here. Um, okay. Been very successful. If there was just one piece of advice that you could share with obviously knowing our audience as financial advisors, but just the audience in general that's led to that success, what would it be? Uh, do the right thing, not the easy thing. Do the right thing, not the easy thing is a, a mantra, a philosophy that, I mean, it's extraordinarily simple. But I learned that when I was 19 from one of my mentors when I started in sales. Um, and to this day, like that is the voice in my head that gets me to do the thing. And, and it both applies to like doing the thing that will move me toward my goals but also doing the thing that is in integrity, right? So, so, so there's both a moral that, that, that both helps to navigate my moral compass and to navigate my productivity compass, right? Um, but I mean, literally, it's, it's what when the alarm goes off in the morning, if I, you know, if I go, uh, I don't want to get up, I go like do the right thing, not the easy thing that it is. I, it's so ingrained in me. I've said it, you know, thousands and thousands of times to myself. I used to say it in sales when I would look, I would think about getting on the phone. Right. Cause that, because that's it. It's the moment of decision. It's, it's, we are every moment. Should I go to the gym or should I stay home? Should I stay up later? Should, you know, watch one more Netflix show or should I go to bed so I can get up early? Should, right. Should I, you know, eh, fudge these numbers a little bit? You know, nobody will really know or care. Right. Or should I do the right thing and, and live with integrity and integrity to me, by the way, and this is where integrity and productivity, uh, are, are marry each other. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, no matter what, without excuses, without exceptions. And so that's the key to productivity. And that's where do the right thing, not the easy thing is like, I wrote in my schedule that I was going to make 20 calls today. I don't feel like it right now, but who gives a shit what I feel like? I said I was going to do it. I have to do the right thing, which is what I committed to, not the easy thing, which is what I feel like, you know, very often. Mm-hmm. And so, the, so that's it. I mean, if you do the right thing, not the easy thing, you know, and you use common sense, you know, and you, and you, and you stay patient and hungry and you keep moving forward, your success is inevitable. Might take you 10 years to be that overnight success, but if you do the right thing, not the easy thing and keep moving the direction of worthwhile predetermined goals, you know, I don't think you can fail. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. You're I welcome. have a new morning mantra that is going to keep me from hitting the snooze button. So <laughs> there you go. Well, how thanks, man. This has been a, an awesome conversation. So until the next time our paths cross, man. It's been My fun. Pleasure, brother. Thank you, brother. Bye. Appreciate you, man. Take care. Thanks for checking out the latest show. Here's this week's featured review. This one comes to us from K McGrath 27, who says, love it. Great podcast for a young aspiring financial advisor like myself. Feel like I've already gained an advantage in the industry. K McGrath 27, appreciate the kind words. And I'm glad you found the show early on in your career. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the episodes with Ron Carson and Barry Glassman. Lots of wisdom shared from those guys from a couple of the industry's leaders. And hey, for the you others out there, as a reminder, if any of you Blueprint listeners have ideas on future guests you'd like to see on the show, hit me up on Twitter. My username is at Brad underscore Johnson. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
So that's it for this week's show. And for those out there listening in, do me and your fellow financial advisor friends a favor and share your favorite episode with them, whether it's by email, text, however, and let them know we're sharing ideas and more importantly, actionable items specifically for financial services. I'd appreciate it as it helps me impact more advisors out there just like you guys. With that, thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next show. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.